Our scripture uh, this morning is found in Numbers chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. In the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us together today to hear your holy word preached to be instructed by you, and we pray that you would help us to do just that now, that you would remove any distractions that we might have, that you would help us to hear and to be attentive to the things that you are saying to us today in this passage as your word is preached. Help me to get out of the way so that that can happen. Give us all grace for this work, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just to catch everybody up to speed on where we're at in our family history, uh, if you remember, uh, Israel was delivered in the Exodus during the first year of the first month between the 14th and the 15th day. We said that the people's calendars were actually reset with that particular event. And then in the second year, so a year after, on the first day of the month, they Um, put together the tabernacle that the Lord had instructed them to build so that they could come and meet with him and experience his special presence once again. God gave them instruction after that on how they were to worship him. And last week, we saw the dangers of worshiping God in a way that he had not commanded. In the second month of the second year, on the 20th day, so we're now about one year and one month post-Exodus, we are about 14 months after that uh, first initial Exodus event, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle and began to move. Remember we said that while Israel uh, was in the wilderness and on their way into the promised land, this visible manifestation of God's glory, the cloud the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that rested over the tabernacle and specifically over the holy place would lead them. When that cloud moved, they would pull up the tent and they would follow it wherever it went. So God has began to do this now. He's begun to lead his people through the land. Israel is now going to travel from the wilderness of Sinai where they initially received the law and first set up the tabernacle towards the borders of the promised land. But while they are on their way there, they are going to run into some problems. And the first of those problems that we're going to talk about that they ran into today is their complaining. And the Israelites complained about three particular things. First, they complained about their situation in general, just their overall situation. Second, they complain about their provision and third, they complain about those leaders. So those, those are the three things that we're going to be discussing today. These three things that the Israelites complained about on their way to the promised land. And I want you to look, if you have your Bibles, you can use your pew Bible, that's fine. Uh, we're mainly going to be 
Well, we're only going to be in Numbers 11 and 12 today. Numbers chapter 11 and 12, and I'll direct you to the verses we're going to look at as we get there. Your pew Bible's fine, or if you've brought a Bible with you. If you don't have one, you can just listen along. That's perfectly fine, too. Um, But first, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 11. So, Numbers 11, 1 through 6. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. One thing that we have to keep in mind in all of this is that this is not the first time that the Israelites have complained about their provision. Immediately after they left Egypt in the Exodus, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai to receive the law, they complain that they don't have anything to drink, and God miraculously provides water for them to drink. And then they complain that they don't have anything to eat, and God miraculously provides for them bread and meat. And here we are a year later, (laughs) and the people are still complaining about these very same things. But I think in this particular situation uh, that their complaint is much more grievous in the sight of the Lord because they are complaining about their misfortunes and their lack of provision. In other words, they're just complaining about everything. They are complaining about everything in general. So first, it is said that the people complain about their misfortunes up in verse 1. Read that again with me. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. So this is to say that the people are complaining about their overall situation now. They're complaining about their misfortunes. You've got to get yourself into the scene. Um, The people of Israel are now in the wilderness And the surrounding area is desolate. They are in a desert. It's probably uncomfortable. It's possible that it's very hot at this point in time. And they are becoming irritated on their way to the so-called promised land as far as they are concerned. But nevertheless, they have everything that they need. They have food to eat. They have water to drink. And they have the promises from their God of a new and better life, but yet they still complained, and God heard them, and he was angry, and he judged them. The text says that the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Again, here we have the fire of the Lord coming as a judgment against the people, just as last week we saw Nadab and Abihu were judged for not worshiping 
God in the proper way with this fire. Here again, the fire of God's judgment breaks out in the camp as a warning to Israel of the wrath of God that is to come if they continue on in this disobedience. The text says that it consumes some of the outlying parts of the camp. So whether that is the ground on the outside of the camp or the bushes or whatever, God is giving this to Israel as a warning that if they keep on complaining, something much worse is going to happen. First of all, the fire is falling outside the camp. But if you keep on, it's going to get much worse for you. So, the rest of the scripture, if we were to look at it, which we will uh, in just a moment, shows us that this complaining is rooted in rebellion and unbelief. Like I said, we'll come back to that. So first of all, they complain about their misfortunes. They complain about their situation in general. Second, they are complaining about their provision. Verse 4 says that some of the rabble among them had a strong craving. This word rabble most likely refers to the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt along with Israel. So probably Egyptians and some other pagans who are mixed in with the Israelites now. They're complaining and wishing that they had some of the stuff that they had while they were back in Egypt. They begin to look back on all of these things. And their murmur, their murmurings and their complaints that they don't have these things begin to influence the Israelites to the, to the degree that they begin to long for these things as well. And Israel starts to complain. Oh, that we were back in Egypt where we had that fresh fish. Remember guys when we had the, uh, the vegetables and the fruits in abundance and now all we have is this stinking manna. Right? This is the complaint of Israel and God hears their complaints. And in both instances, it's as if the people are complaining directly against God whenever they do this. And God takes it as a rejection of him, and for that he judges them. Moses tells us, you will get the meat that you are craving. Tells us later on, as a matter of fact, you're going to have so much of that meat that it's going to be coming out of your nostrils. He actually says that. Um, Sort of a satirical comment there. Uh, In other words, they're going to loathe the fact that they even asked for this stuff in the first place. They're going to hate it. Uh, As a matter of fact, the text says that God sent them quail around their camp on either side. And there were so many that they actually piled up like three feet high around their camp. And so the people had an abundance of this meat. But while they're still eating it, the text says while the meat is still in their teeth, God judged them. If you look at verses 31 uh, through 35... Chapter 11, we'll read that, the quail in the plague. In verse 31, Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. That's the three feet. And the people rose all that day, and all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. Those who gathered gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hata'avah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hata'avah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. So what happened? 
Why does the, uh, the judgment of God fall on them in this instance? The text says that the place where they were buried is called Kibroth Hata'ava, which means graves of greediness. That's what the word means, or the words. God had uh, been giving them bread and meat all along, but it was not enough. They wanted, they wanted some of that old, fine Egyptian cuisine from back west. You know, they wanted some of them big old fat mid, Midwest pork chops. and They wanted the barbecue, right, with all the fixings, the, the vegetables, and all the seasonings, the fruits. God's provision was not enough. They got greedy, and as a result, Psalm 78 tells us that they were unbelieving. Greed leads once again to unbelief. In each one of these cases, the people are not just rejecting Moses, although they are doing that, but they are rejecting God in their rejection of Moses. Through their complaining, murmuring, dissatisfaction, lack of contentment, and greediness, they are rejecting God, they are unbelieving. They're saying, in essence, what you have given us is not enough. You are not enough, and for that, God judges them. Last, I want to talk about complaining about the authority that God has placed over them. And if you look at uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 16, you'll see that. So we'll read the entirety of chapter 12. Complaining about the authority that God had placed over them. So this is the third thing. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forward and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So what happened here? They outright rejected the authority that God had placed over them in Moses. Miriam starts her complaining by talking about Moses' wife, which is really just a cover-up 
for her real complaint, which is about Moses's leadership. Aaron, the high priest, and Miriam, um, who was a prophetess and most likely the leader of the women's ministry at this point in time, take it upon themselves to claim the authority that only God has. You see, Moses was God's appointed man. And at this point in Israel's history, Moses was the one who spoke on behalf of God to the people. He was the one who spoke, who shared most intimate fellowship with God. Uh, he was God's prophet, and he was the one to whom the Lord had revealed his will most preeminently. And Aaron and Miriam reject that and try to take up this authority for themselves, and for that they are sorely judged. Miriam was struck with leprosy, which basically would have cut her off from the people. People who had leprosy had to stay outside of the camp. And if you had leprosy, you could not come up to worship um, because you were considered spiritually unclean, spiritually dead. And so this would have been a severe judgment for somebody like Miriam who held such a high place in Israel. So again, it is the same pattern. The people complain, God hears it, and he judges them. Right? Before it was Israel, and here we see Aaron and Moses. But it's the same pattern. Complaint, God hears it, God judges. Because Miriam and Aaron were discontent, they began to murmur about the authority that God had placed over them, and they even sought to usurp it. And therefore, they are treated just like the rest of the unbelieving, rebellious Israelites. Now, in our passage that John read this morning, uh, Paul tells us, that uh, Israel is given to us as an example. Um, He says that Israel is actually our fathers. He refers to them as our fathers, and they're given to us as an example of what not to do. Uh, Look at, if you got that in your insert, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at what Paul says here. Verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now listen. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He says, Israel's our family. Okay? This is our family history. And we're supposed to look back at this history and learn something from it. They were baptized and placed under the authority of Moses, just as we are baptized and placed under the authority of Christ. They were delivered out of Egypt, just as we are delivered out of this world that is perishing. And they were given spiritual food and spiritual drink, just like we have. They had the manna, the bread in the wilderness, and they had the spiritual drink. They had the water that flowed from the rock that followed them around while they were in the wilderness, just like we have the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper. So he's saying, 
you ought not to look down your noses and think that they had all of this miraculous provision and wonder why they were murmuring and complaining against the Lord because you might find yourselves doing the very same thing and in so doing you will find yourself judged in the same manner that they were. We have the same blessings that they did just in a greater measure. We too are on our way to the promised land just as they were. And as I said, we are to be careful not to grumble and complain just as they did, lest we be judged as they were. As a matter of fact, we are much more culpable because we have all of this redemptive history to look back on. We're more responsible because we have greater revelation, right? We have the whole story in the beginning, uh, from the beginning of the pages of Scripture to the end. We have it all right here. And so we have no excuses. So what are some of the ways that we still enter into the sin of Israel in the wilderness today? What are some of the ways that we still grumble and complain against the Lord? How do we reject the authorities that he's placed over us in rebellion and unbelief? Well, I want to highlight that in three ways today. The three same ways that we highlighted it in our story about the Israelites. Number one, they complained about their provision in general, right? Number two, they complained that they did not have the provisions that they wanted. And number three, they complain about the leaders that they had over them. And we complain in the very same ways. We complain about our situation in general, we complain about our provision, and we complain about the leaders that God has placed over us. So number one, we complain about our situation in general. As I have said, we are like Israel. We are now in this wilderness wasteland that we call life. And uh, we are on our way to the promised land. As a matter of fact, in the New Covenant, the promised land has been universalized. It's the whole world. And God says, I'm giving it all to you in Jesus Christ. Go in and take it. It's yours. And we complain. You know, I did some researching on the internet. And I found out that there's actually a lot of stuff that we complain about. (laughs) You believe it or not, there's actually a list of this stuff out there that we complain about. Uh, We complain about our finances, right? We complain that um, we we can't make ends meet and that we're living from paycheck to paycheck, and yet we're living high on the hog compared to a lot of people who are out there. Uh, We complain about our health. We complain that our body is aching. We complain and we complain and we complain when we get a common cold. And granted, we should be upset about some of these things, but should we go on complaining about them to no end? I mean, there are people out there whose bodies are basically prison cells. They're trapped in them. They're paralyzed, or they're so stiff that they can't even get in and out of bed on their own, and they have to, do every, have, to have everybody do something for them, and we complain when we get a sore throat. We complain about being hungry. This is us, right? It's been three whole hours since I've eaten. (laughs) And then we get down there to the drive-thru and we complain that the line in the drive-thru is too long. And then we order a Big Mac with no onions and a quarter pounder with cheese with just mayonnaise and ketchup. And we get our Big Mac and it has onions on it. And a quarter pounder with cheese has mustard and ketchup instead of mayonnaise and ketchup. And then you complain the whole ride home that they ruined your lunch and you would have rather not even eaten in the first place. By the way, this was me on the way home from McDonald's the other day. Um, 
We complain about everything. Friends, the internet's too slow. The weather's bad. My cell phone battery keeps dying. My children don't listen. The line at the grocery store's too long. The salespeople who come to our door are annoying. I have no cell phone service. And it's Monday. We complain that it's Monday. We will find something to complain about even when there is nothing to complain about. Now, are there real justified complaints out there? Things that you should be upset about? Yes. But you don't complain about any of those things. 99% of the time, we complain about things for all the wrong reasons. So number one, we complain about our situation in general. Number two, we complain about our provision. This is to say that uh, we're always complaining that we don't have it like we used to. right? We're always looking back at the life that we used to have and wishing that we had that life once again, wishing that we had a different life. We go driving around and we, we see people coming to the store that we don't even know and we think that they've got it easy. We think, man, they just come up here to the store and they do their shopping and then they go back home and they you know, maybe take a nap and then have their dinner, throw the chew for the dog and, and go to sleep. And they don't have these responsibilities that I have. They don't have the job that I have to deal with. They don't have the worries that I have. We see people riding their bikes down the road leisurely and think, man, I, I wish I could, I could be them just taking this leisurely ride on their bike. But we don't know the worries that they have. We don't know the struggles that they're going through or the bondage that they're in. And we're not grateful. This is the crux of the matter. We're not grateful for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that God has delivered us and granted us liberty in Christ and set us free from all the things that used to enslave us, that we have friends in the church who truly love us now. We're not grateful for these things and on and on and on. We wish we could go back to the pig pen. We want to go back to the way that things used to be. And we want to um, have that promiscuous life with no consequences. And we want to be able to tell people off and not have to worry about the things that we have said. We are constantly wanting the life that we once had. We're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. And this is what it means to look back to Egypt. And it's sinful and God hates it. It's ultimately the result of being ungrateful and unbelieving. And we do this in the church too. We do it with the church. Remember, we always, we talk, we talk about the good old days, you know, the golden days, the way that things used to be, and we wish that they were that way again. And we're constantly looking back at how we do things differently now and wanting them to do them the way that we used to. But God has been at work in this church to bring us along, to uh, bring us from where we were to uh, where we are going. And this is part of what it means to become a Reformed church, to make progress in our sanctification together as a church. And as we move away from that old mentality that we used to have and embrace more of a Reformed heritage, some of those old things are going to fall away and they're going to disappear. And it's good. It's good that that's happening. We're to be a church Reformed and always Reforming. Uh, this is to say that we never get this mentality uh, that we fully arrived, that we've got it all figured out. Um, and if we, if we have this mindset, uh, by necessity, things will change 
as God makes us more like him, as we're trying to be more biblical in the things that we do, God is going to reform us and he's going to reform the people in this church. And by necessity, things are going to look different. But it's okay. It's good. But we have to stop looking back and wishing things were the way that they used to be. Moving, uh, wishing that we could do things the way that we used to do them because they can never be that way again since we are moving into a different historical era and God is bringing us along. He's moving us closer to where he wants to be and sometimes this hurts. Sometimes it'll be uncomfortable but in the end it's all for the good of the church and for the glory of God. So we have to keep these things in mind. Careful not to be complaining and murmuring. So number two, we complain about our provision. Last, we complain about the leaders that God has placed over us. Aaron and Miriam felt stifled by the leadership that Moses um, had over them. And they thought that they could do it just as good as he did. And, they, and that they should do it. But they neglected the most important thing, the, the God-given authority that he had placed over them in Moses. Church, we must recognize that the Lord places leaders in authority over us. The Bible teaches that our leaders have been ordained by God. And the elders in this church, if we have gone through the proper process of, of um, electing them and vetting them and training, training them and then laying hands on them and ordaining them all according to Scripture, uh, then those are the people that God has appointed to lead us at this particular Uh, time in history, and we are to receive their judgments. And it's the same with the pastors in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, The pastors have to go through a rigorous process of ordination. It starts with the inward call, where man senses a call into the ministry, and then that's confirmed outwardly by men who are around him and women in the church who are around him, telling him that he's gifted. And then He goes off to train in seminary, and he goes through seminary training, and if he makes it through the process of seminary training, he begins looking for a church, and then a church calls him. That's the next part in the process. Then he comes under the care of the presbytery. The presbytery gets him in his scope, and the presbytery thoroughly vets him and examines him by the committee, then sticks him on the floor before the presbytery, and the whole presbytery examines him, and then he comes before the church, and they ordain him. If you have a man standing before you in the presbyterian church who's been ordained, then that is the person that God has appointed at this particular time in history to lead you. Accordingly, you're not to complain about the decisions that your rulers make, but you are to submit to those whom God has placed over you. And of course, if your leaders are rejecting the authority that's over them, if they begin doing things that are unbiblical, they've rejected God's authority and they are to be stripped of their authority and... Uh, you're not to obey them in that instance. But in any other way, you are to listen and to obey your leaders. Kids, whether you realize it or not, your parents have been placed in authority over you by God. And uh, when they ask you to take out the trash or to clean up your room or to stop, um, stop bothering your brother or whatever the case may be, and you begin to mumble and, and complain against them, you are not to do that. Because in so doing, you are complaining against God. And in so doing, you are inviting him to discipline you. And whether that's at the hands of your parents or some other means, he, he will do it. And trust me, I can testify to this. It hurts 
when God spanks you, and he will do it. So you're, you're not to reject the authority uh, that's been placed over you by God and your parents, and you're not to mumble and complain against them. Uh, moreover, we are, not to, uh, we are to submit to our civil leaders, the authorities that God has placed over us in society to govern. I don't know if you, any of you heard about this, but after the, uh, the shootings in Virginia Beach, I guess it was last week, uh, Donald Trump went to a prominent Baptist church in Virginia uh, to pray for the victims of that shooting. And at the end of the service, David Platt, the pastor of that church, uh, brought him up and he prayed for him and he prayed a godly, God-honoring prayer over the man, asking God to uh, bless our president and to guide him and help him to guide our country and to do what is just. And afterwards, he gets all this flack from his people about praying for the president. When the Bible explicitly tells us that we're to pray for those who are in authority over us, he actually had to go back and write a biblical rationale uh, as to why he took the president up and prayed for him in the way that he did. And this is rebellion against the God-given authorities that he's placed over us. It's rebellion. Whether we like our, ne- our leaders or not, we are, we are supposed to submit to them and obey them unless they ask us to disobey God. But in any other way, we're to obey them and we are to pray for them. So, in the final analysis, we have seen that the people of Israel had been given great blessings at the hands of their God. They had been delivered from their enemies and given everything that they needed to survive while they were on the way to the promised land. But they were ungrateful and unbelieving, and as a result, they began to complain. They complained about their situation. They complained about their provision. Uh, They complained about the leaders that God had placed over them. And in so doing, they complained against God. Ultimately, at the end of the day, they were saying that they would rather have some of this world's filth than the blessings of their God through their complaining. And we, too, have been delivered from the bondage of our enemies, just like Israel. We've been delivered out of this world that's perishing and into a new world that's filled with blessings forevermore. We've, set, we've been set free from sin and delivered from the hand of our old taskmaster, the devil. And every time we, we look back and begin to complain about our present situation, um, we are acting like unbelievers, in effect. In effect, we are saying that we would rather have uh, the world than we would have our God. So the final exhortation. Believers are to be thankful to God for all things. And acknowledge that he is the source of everything that we have. He has placed us in our present situation. He has at work to move us into a place of greater blessing. He has made us promises. And he has provided everything for us that we need along the way to enter into this blessing. So let us be careful not to enter into the sin of Israel. Into the sin of complaining and to the sin of being ungrateful, and ultimately the sin of unbelief. Let us instead be thankful to our God for all things, accepting what he gives us and being glad for what he has done, for he indeed has given us something better than this world could ever give. Let's pray together. Father, 
Thank you for this passage today. It is a hard one. It's a tough one to stomach. And every time I talk about complaining, I see how much of a complainer I really am. Let us not forget about these things as we go on from this day. And remember the exhortations that we've received. Remember the lessons that we've learned from the scripture so that we might not be complaining and murmuring, but that we would rather be grateful for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus and all that you have given to us, acknowledging that the provision that you've given us is enough to get us to the promised land, because you are our God and you will not forsake us. Commit these things to your hands and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.